It's no secret that real estate is one of the best investment vehicles out there, but how can we determine which strategies will best align with our financial ambitions? Well, you've come to the right spot. Whether you're an active real estate entrepreneur, a passive investor, or looking to get into real estate investing, our goal is to provide investors with the insights and strategies for building our portfolios all while protecting our capital. I'm Daniel Nichols, and this is the Two Smart Assets Real Estate Investing Podcast. Are you looking to grow your real estate investing business? Fortune Cribs can help. Fortune Cribs helps investors buy short-term rentals in select markets around the country for as little as 10% down with cash-on-cash returns in the 20 to 30% range. Fortune Cribs will design, furnish, and manage all the day-to-day operations, making your experience truly hands-off. And it doesn't matter where you're at in your real estate investing journey, whether you're trying to get your first deal or scale your portfolio, Fortune Cribs can help. So if you want to take the next step, go to fortunecribs.com and book your free consultation to see how Fortune Cribs can best help you. Once again, that's fortunecribs.com. What's going on, everybody? Welcome back to the show. I'm your host, Daniel Nichols, accompanied by our guest for the week, Clay Hepler. And today we are the two smart assets. For those not yet familiar with Clay, he is Chief Wealth Strategist at The Creative Capitalist, where he helps entrepreneurs and real estate investors create, protect, and multiply their cash flow so they keep control and amplify more of their hard-earned cash in any economy. Early on, Clay was obsessed with the mindset, methods, and manners of the ultra-wealthy and has used these strategies in his own life to grow from a negative net worth at 24 years old to over $4 million in real estate owned just one year later at the age of 25. Clay, my man, it's great to see you. Welcome to the show. Absolutely. It's great to have you on here. Great to be on here. (laughs) Yep, dude. Excited to have you on. I know we got a lot to talk about today. Uh, You know, we got a topic we're going to touch on that we don't really get to hear much about on this show. So eager to dive into that, man. But before we do, we like to kick the show off by hearing more about you, Clay, the guest. So tell us more about your background, your story and how you got to where you are today, man. Yeah, when I went when I was 24, I went down to Colombia and met, uh, you know, uh, Pablo Escobar's youngest grandson, and that's why that's why I was able to buy so much real estate. <laughs> <laughs> I love it. I love no, it. no, no, no. So um, I was in South America, though. Um, it, it's funny, Dan. When I was um, in in college, I was working for the embassy, U.S. embassy, doing some stuff with down in Buenos Aires. I thought I was going to be a diplomat. I wanted to be an ambassador. And I wanted it that that's what I wanted my life to be. Ended up not really liking it. Um, a lot of a lot of red tape working with the government. And I could see my career path was in terms of decades, you know, 10 years, 20 years, 30 years to even get close to what I wanted to do. And I said, you know what, this is really not, this is really not for me. So I dropped out of college, joined a family chocolate company, scaled that business from two to 42 states in 18 months, built all relationship with you know the Omni hotel chain and and celebrity chefs and met my mentor, which we're going to talk a little about a couple of the strategies that he taught me here today. Um, but met him. He was a developer, real estate developer, multifamily guy, office guy, and had a bunch of other sort of ancillary businesses as well. Taught me about, hey, Clay, you got to get equity. You got to exchange equity for time. You got to have cash flow in your life. You got to have assets that pay for you when you sleep. Again, this is like the rich dad, poor dad thing over and over again, but it's the universal principles of, of how to build wealth. After that, I um, you know, built a relationship with that guy. I said, hey, I want to go out and buy some real estate. So I joined a firm locally in my, in my city. Uh, we did some wholesale deals. We, my, our first year, I was a director of acquisitions. We scaled to 75 deals. Uh, and then I started buying real estate on the side, bought my first building, 
August of 2020 and have just been buying smaller burrs, bought a luxury Airbnb, house hack, did the whole nine, all while sort of implementing the tactics, strategies, mindset of my mentor. Uh, and today, I'm, I come to you today, I'm a burr investor. Uh, I, for those of your listeners who don't know, I buy rent, ref, buy rehab rent, ref, refinance, repeat, just recycling cash on smaller multifamily projects, basically two to 10 units. And I also have a firm, which is my main gig. I help real estate investors with more than one property that make over $100,000 a year, build their own bank so that their savings works harder for them. Uh, and that's it. That's awesome, man. I love to hear that. You do a lot of stuff there. And, you know, we could probably do three or four shows just based off, you know, some of the topics that you brought up in that intro there. I love to hear it, man. But we're going to stick to one topic today, man. And that's your main stuff, right? So, you know, as we mentioned in your, in your intro, you help others create, protect, and multiply, multiply their cash flow. And really, for someone like me and our listeners, that's exactly what we're trying to do right now. I mean, always, right? That's just kind of the, the game plan of what we're trying to do. So, you know, walk us through the, the create, protect, and multiply pillars of your strategy and how they apply to, to investors and entrepreneurs. How are you educating people how to do this? Right. And, and the focus here really is, is about building your own bank. I realized that, um, you know, as real estate investors, we're constantly looking at with our investments, with our strategy, uh, which is an offensive strategy. We're constantly looking at how do we optimize our cash flow? How do we decrease expenses? You know, as a as a um, commercial guy, that you got to decrease increase that NOI. Your value is going to go up, right? But that's through different things that we can pull two levers. We can increase our income, or we can decrease our expenses. But that's all thinking about cash flow more efficiently. Basically, creating, protecting, and multiplying your your cash flow is distilled down into is where you put your money the most efficient and effective place possible. I doubt it. I doubt it. For most for most Americans, we're taught to put our money in sort of two places, maybe three. Uh, the first place is our savings account, and the second place is in retirement funds. And retirement funds is sort of like delaying your savings for 40 years and not having control over that cash, not having any liquidity, giving up the volatility, uh, and really getting chipped along the way with fees from Wall Street. You know, I, I never thought when even when I was younger that, you know, giving my money up to someone else and waiting for 40 years while they take money along the ride is is a really good financial strategy. The other place, Dan, is, is in our savings account. And I, I realized that, you know, that was sort of the conventional path. You really don't know until you until you see it. Right. It's like the, I knew that the sky's color blue because I know it's blue. Right. Well, I one day realized that there's different colors of blue, right? And the color of blue that we're talking about here is the what my mentor taught me, which is using a specifically designed life insurance policy as a place for our savings so they work harder for us. Now, I'm sure your listeners are asking themselves, wait a second, did this guy just say life insurance? The reason why life insurance is such an attractive vehicle for our savings, Dan, is because we're going to get 400 to 600 times the average savings account in a tax-free compounding manner for the rest of our lives, okay? Obviously, we pay in the premiums every single year, and it grows our account balance. But what really makes this strategy incredibly compelling is not only are we going to kick the pants off of our savings account, but we can put a line of credit on our savings, very similar to uh, a line of credit in real estate. 
And we can leverage that to go out and purchase more real estate while our money is still working for us. This is not to mention the death benefit that goes tax-free to your beneficiaries. Um, the fact that this is creditor and asset protected, it's a private contract between you and the, and the life insurance company. So it doesn't affect, doesn't show up on your credit if you have an outstanding loan or doesn't show up on your debt to income. So there's a lot of there's a lot of benefits to using this as an alternative for your cash or savings. A lot of investors that I work with, and I'm going to hop off the pedestal here in a second, but a lot of investors that I work with have to put, you know, you have to put your money someplace for your operating expenses, your capital reserves, your CapEx, um, you know, your taxes, your insurance. In some years, we don't need to put our money in the CapEx, the reserves, the repairs and maintenance. And we just have our money sitting, burning a hole in our pocket. The, what I'm submitting to you is it's you're probably not aware of the other avenues for you to store your wealth. It's going to compound your potential to have more wealth over your lifetimes just by changing the flow of your money in your savings. Yeah, I mean, there's there's so much there, man. And I got to there's two there's two points that I that I that I heard initially was tax free compounding. You know what I'm saying? I mean, that's 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 what most real estate investors want, right? Uh, absolutely massive. So uh, you know, obviously that's huge. But let's dive into this a little bit more, man. Let's say I'm a real estate investor and I hear you talking about uh, you know life insurance policies, these kind of policies to kind of you know I can use as an investor. Uh, let's talk about some numbers, man. So you said you said basically I can fund a policy and then I can basically take a loan out and then also there's compounding interest on or you know interest on my whatever's in the policy right talk, let's talk about some numbers what does that look like in terms of say if i were to fund one of these policies let's do it let's let's dig in because i think that transparency is the most important thing when regarding making a decision like this because some people hear this and say wait a second i'm getting higher than average savings in a tax-free way over my lifetime that i can simultaneously leverage so that my money is working in two places <laughs> This guy is really still talking about drugs. He's still, he's still, he's still hot from his trip down to Columbia. No, no, here's the thing. This is life insurance. So there's going to be a cost to pay for a death benefit. The way that we structure these dams is it's not like a conventional whole life insurance policy. We optimize these for early cash value, cash value growth, which is basically your savings. Um, and a lower death benefit. So the, the majority of our capital that we put in, that we deposit at the beginning, is going to show up for as cash value, but it's still life insurance. So there's a period of time which people in the industry refer to as the capitalization period. What does that mean? That means that between four to six years, your money, the money that you put in, doesn't break even. For the first year, about 65 to 75% of the money that you put in shows up in terms of cash value that you can immediately leverage and redeploy. But uh, it takes about four to six years, depending on your health and age, for it to you know, show up break even. Some people are enraged by that fact. They say, wait a second, why would I wait four to six years for my money to break even? Well, there's tremendous benefits over your lifetime of the tax-free growth. But the biggest thing is, you know, as a real estate investor, that it actually takes about a half a decade to a decade to really hit escape velocity, right? You might have a big a roof happen in a project, 
you know, roof issue or their tenant issues. You got to evict people. There's a lot of things that can show up in a real estate project. And it takes a long time for that, the actual compounding of the cash flow, the debt pay down, the appreciation, the depreciation to really work wonders on your net worth growth. I'd submit to, to the listeners to say, listen, if you're in the real estate game, which I'm sure most of your listeners are, it's a long-term play too. So it takes that time. It's not a, it's not a magic bullet, but it is a really great place to put your savings so you can earn more without working any harder or taking on any more volatility. So let's talk about this for a second. So you, you brought up a lot of good stuff there, but so we, say I'm an, I'm an investor. I come to you, I'm Clay. Hey man, this sounds great. Um, you know, let's, let's talk about this some more, you know, in terms of these policies, are they all the same or are they like kind of like tweaked to suit, you know, what I am as an individual? That is a really good question. They are completely, I only work with real estate investors. Okay. If I, if, if there, if someone else comes to me, I say, you got to work with someone else. I only work with real estate investor because I'm a real estate investor. So um, I, I don't work with other entrepreneurs. I don't work with cleaning. I don't work with cleaning owners. I don't work with car wash owners. I work with real estate guys and gals. And so these policies are optimized for a real estate investor in mind. One of the biggest things that, that I made sure that when I set my original policy up and I help my clients with is there's tremendous amounts of flexibility. You know, there's a, as people know, with life insurance, you have to deposit a premium every year. Sometimes it's on a monthly basis or a quarterly basis, but the way that we structure these is we know real estate investors are cash poor a lot of the time. So if they get a refinance or a big capital event and they want to stuff a lot of cash into this, there's catch-up provisions. So you can stuff it in for a previous year if you didn't get all the, the cash that you had. And there's also flexibility of payment. Not a lot of life insurance providers or agents, producers know how to structure these in these ways. So that maybe on month 11, you get 95% of your premium in for the year. Uh, we can we can enable that. So there's tremendous amount of flexibility. But let's just do a quick example of someone that puts in ten thousand dollars a year. Like I said, um, sixty five to seventy five percent of that, that's going to show up in the first year, Dan. Um, depending on your health and age, next year it's going to be eighty percent, whatever, seventy eight percent, eighty two, and then it's going to keep compounding until you break even. Then for the rest of your life, you're going to experience that four to six percent compounded growth. Awesome, man. There's, there's a lot of good stuff in there too. Uh, so so I, when you're talking to somebody who's interested in this type of strategy, right? Uh, and obviously you said, you know, you kind of suit this to the individual, what, you know, real estate investor, depending on the circumstance, what kind of questions are you asking to determine, uh, you know, what the best policy would be for them? Let, I mean, obviously it's going to change for everybody, right? But what are like some of the main questions you're asking to make sure that this strategy is right for that, uh, that investor? That's a really good question. Um, I want to I want to know how much their their monthly savings rate is. How much money are they saving on a monthly basis? Because what I want to do is I always always say you should start slower than, you know, do the biggest policy as possible at the beginning because when you understand the magic of using this vehicle, you'll definitely purchase more policies, you can continue to insure more and more as your income and wealth grow. But at the beginning, we're really just setting the habit of flowing your capital into this. So even though it's against my own personal financial interest to my wife's dismay, um, <laughs> I, I always recommend to, to, to go a little bit lower. So we'll look at your personal finances every month on a monthly basis. How much are you saving and on a year on a yearly basis? And we'll also account for 
Do you, are you a real estate investor that's trying to optimize for long-term growth in these policies, or do you want to have it so that you have earlier liquidity? There's a way that we can tweak the policies that your long-term dividend growth is going to be stronger versus not as strong. And the, and the um, vis-a-vis there is just early liquidity versus it takes a little bit longer to get your break even. So those are kind of the two biggest things. It's number one, how much are you saving? And number two, um, you know, what's your, what's your actual strategy? Cause we want to fit this, your own bank into your, your personal, your holistic life, um, financial strategy. Yeah. That makes a ton of sense, man. And I love to hear that. Cause you know, those are some really important questions, right? Cause you don't want to be put in a bad spot. Um, so one quick question, and maybe we should get a quick answer on this one. So in terms of these policies, are they set in stone? Say I come to you, Clay, to, you know, we determine a policy we're, we're set. Are they set in stone or can they be, you know, flexible, you know, throughout, you might've already answered this, but I kind of want to touch on it again. Are, are the is the payment set in stone? Is that what yeah, you're saying? Just just like the terms of the policy, right? You know how much I'm going to have to you know put in each month, you know, or whatever, and then the the rates and t- uh, all that kind of stuff. Are those set in stone once we uh, initiate the policy, or are they fluid throughout the the whole period? So because this is a permanent life insurance policy, uh, they are the the payment on a monthly or yearly basis is set in stone cool. in terms of the base premium. Now, there is additional, I would say, cash value growth riders. I'm just going to use a non-industry term, which gives you faster cash value buildup, which is basically like a dollar into a dollar of cash value, to put it very bluntly. And you don't necessarily have to pay those every single year. So there is a tremendous amount of flexibility uh, in the policy, but it would be against my, I would say, fiduciary, even though I'm not technically a registered fiduciary, it would be against my fiduciary responsibility to my client to tell them not to try to pay in all these because I'm barely compensated on the 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 these cash value additions, Dan, but they're the things that really optimize your policy. So if you want to optimize your, your saving strategy, then you want to make sure that you have those implemented um, you, you want to make sure you have this implemented. In. And again, the, the way that we structure these, which not a lot of agents do, we use a, um, a company, a mutual insurance company that has a tremendous amount of flexibility of payment so that as you as a real estate investor, you don't have to necessarily do the same payment that you do every single year, every single time. Sweet. Love to hear it, man. That's fantastic. So earlier on in the show, we kind of talked about, you know, some of the misconceptions of, you know, where you're holding your money, you know, whether it's to be a savings account or in, you know, a 401k, something like that. Um, And so, you know, a lot of real estate investors, they invest through a self-directed retirement account. A lot of investors, right? At least I know uh, many investors that do that kind of stuff. But with a self-directed retirement account, you're restricted on kind of where you can place your capital, right? It's just, it's just a big, it's just a big part of it. You got to make sure you're investing, you know, correctly, or you might get slapped on the hand, right? Or worse. So how does that work with one of these uh, insurance policies? Is there, do I have restrictions on what I can invest in? Or is it just kind of, you know, wherever I want to place my capital? Yeah. And, and I'm starting to see, um, I can look in your eyes and I'm, you're starting to see Lamborghinis. <laughs> no, you can, you, you can use this for anything. This is a um, incredibly flexible liquid savings account that you can use for whatever you want to invest in. There's no limits. If you want to go to Vegas, you want to buy Lamborghinis, you want to invest in real estate, you can do whatever you'd like to do with it. I always recommend that you use it for income producing activities. Uh, But that's just what I recommend. 
but there's no restrictions. There's no taxes. If you like UBIT tax, right, with self-directed IRAs, it's you can do whatever you want with it. Love to hear it, man. I love that flexibility, right? Because as as a real estate investor, you know, we're focused on real estate. We want the cash flow in real estate and whatever we're doing with that capital. But just to have that ability to go do something else if needed, not have to worry about some sort of restrictions and, you know, the paperwork and all that stuff is fantastic. So, um, you know, a lot of great information here, man. So I, I got kind of one thing I want to ask. This is kind of just a personal thing, but you know, the stuff's going crazy in the economy right now. I mean, obviously there's a lot of stuff going on, right? Uh, especially with the, the financial markets, all that stuff. So how does that play into one of these insurance policies? For instance, you know, we have rising interest rates right now. Does that affect my policy's interest rate or what I'm paying in or what I'm getting compounding on my, on my dollars, uh, on that loan that I'm having, you know, on my own money really, or, or the fees that are associated with the account? Mm-hmm. Do, do rising interest rates or anything in the economy play into that to where I need to be just knowledgeable about that? Totally. Yeah. So I, if you have one of these policies, which I don't know if you do, but if you have one of these policies, it would depend on your carrier and how they, uh, you know, if you have an outstanding loan, for example, how they qualify the loan for the loan uh, interest rate. But I would say that a lot of loans, at least with the company that I use, are, are all based on the Moody's corporate bond index. Sure. Which is not a really variable um, corporate bond index that is declared on an annual basis. So it's not like, you know, one day if there's 75 basis points, like the world's going to burn down. Um, but I would say that in addition to that, the performance of your policy is directly correlated to the widespread interest rate environment because what life insurance companies do to declare dividends, which are shared with the policyholders, at least if you use a mutual life insurance company, because you're a part owner of um, the life insurance company, if you have one of these policies, uh, they go out, take your premiums, and they invest in assets, a lot of assets that are actually interest rate correlated. Uh, Let me just say that very loosely, um, just so I don't get berated in the comments by anyone. Um, and so there's bonds in the index, there's real estate, there's also the, um, there's a, a part of their portfolio that they redistribute in the, in the form of dividends or also your loans that are outstanding. So as interest rates actually increase, Dan, the, the dividends that are declared also increase. Now there is a guaranteed interest rate, which is contractually guaranteed uh, based on your, your contract. Um, which right now it's it's three percent per year, and then you participate in the additional dividends that are distributed at the end of the year. But for example, in the eighties, you know, dividends for some companies were like in not uh, in the twelves or thirteens, um, which is absolutely crazy. Um, so they they'll they'll there will be variability in, in the future if your, for example, you know, interest rates go up. Well, your cash value is going to grow faster as well. Mm, love to hear that, man. I, and I appreciate you going to that level of detail because I think that's that's pretty important for somebody who's getting a policy to understand, right? Because if there's going to be some some sort of fluctuation or whatever, you want to know where that's coming from. So, Clay, mm-hmm. that's that's fantastic, man. I got I got one more thing before we get out of here. You know, I've heard people use these life insurance policies. A lot of them, you know, have kids, they have a family, and they're worried about focusing on a legacy, right? So, how does that come into play in terms of these in terms of these policies, man? Why is it so beneficial if you're if you're worried about legacy? You know, obviously there's a death benefit and all that stuff. Tell me how that plays into these policies? Well, you know, we've seen families, very wealthy American families take a policy and and distribute it to the next generation and set up another policy so that they literally build their own family bank. So they have hundreds of years of compounding, which is 
absolutely astonishing. I can't wait to give that to my children. Um, if they're good, like, I don't know, I don't have any kids yet, but if they're good, I, um, but long story short, there's a tax-free death benefit. So you can take that death benefit and you can, you know, the beneficiary can be a, tr a trust that you have, which some of my clients like to, you know, distribute to trust and then to trust, then redistribute, you know, redistribute it to a, another life insurance policy, which sets in motion again, that another 70 years of compounding, you can uh, name different beneficiaries like your wife or your children or whatever. Um, but there's, it's tax-free to your, to your heirs. And so that that's really, really important because, you know, if it's a $5 million death benefit, like that's, that's like very beneficial, uh, you know, for anyone. Uh, so, so that's one of the biggest parts about this. Again, we, the way that we set these up, Dan, we emphasize the living benefits. You know, you want to make sure that you have early cash value growth and cash value growth over your lifetime. So you can leverage it and have a larger and larger pool of capital that you can redeploy and amplify your, your wealth building potential over your lifetime. But there is still is that benefit of the of the death benefit that's associated with it. And if you're any of your listeners are really interested in sort of the nuances here, then I'd be delighted to I'd be delighted to uh, get on the phone with them or talk with them after the fact. Absolutely. Love that, man. You know, we, th we've covered a lot today, dude. And just on that note, say we wrap it up here. Uh, I really feel like I probably asked you another hour's worth of questions, but when we want to be respectful of your time. So before we get out of here, man, tell the listeners about, you know, what you got going on, your company, all that stuff. Yeah. So my firm, the creative capitalist, besides investing in real estate still, uh, I help real estate investors. So I help real estate investors with over $100,000 a year in income that have purchased at least one property. It could be a syndication. And the reason why I say over $100,000 a year income is because our firm is very boutique. We don't really take on every client under the sun we want to make sure that if there's a client that's interested in our services and interested in working with us, that we can really give them the like white glove service. We have a pretty expansive networks via the uh, creative capitalist podcast that we can introduce people to. But uh, if you're not making over those, you know, reach out to me in the future, but that's exactly what we help people do. We help people build these banks so that their savings work harder for them. Sweet. Where can our listeners find out more and uh, reach out to you? Yeah, creative-capitalist.com. Or you can text me or call me at 412-552-3029. Awesome, man. We're going to make sure to put that in the show notes so all of our listeners can reach out. I know they're going to have questions about this because it's a very interesting, a huge, huge, massive strategy to implement in somebody's you know portfolio. I think this is a big tool and other people should be looking more into this. Clay, man, it's been great having you on the show. Appreciate you taking the time to speak with me today. Dan, thank you very much for having me. And I've never been a smarter asset. <laughs> I love it, man. Love it. Thanks, dude. Hey, thanks for listening to today's episode. Head over to iTunes to subscribe to the show. And while you're there, we really appreciate you leaving a rating and written review. If you have any questions or topics you'd like to hear on the show, connect with us on social media or through our website at twosmartassets.com. We look forward to speaking to each and every one of you. Talk to you soon.